You're listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. And today we're going to be talking about the fourth paper in our summer series of papers. Uh, the first two dealt with energy efficiency. The second two dealt with renewable energy. And we're specifically going to be talking about paper four here, which is really talking about private procurement of renewable energy and how we integrate that into our state policy. Yep. The title is Private Procurement Public Benefit, Integrating Corporate Renewable Energy Purchases with Utility Resource Planning. That is a real catchy Do you have to read the paper with a title that long? (laughs) Uh, And you can find them all uh, uh, free download cnee.colostate.edu if you click on the innovation series a series of white papers as Tom was mentioning the last two about renewables and this one focuses Tom you know in a more less traditional sense um, on what the private sector is doing and barriers to private sector adoption of renewables or really put put more succinctly how we can align um, the, the regulatory process of resource procurement with uh, the goals of these major U.S. corporations. So, yeah, I think we should mention that the third paper talked primarily about um, about uh, renewable portfolio standards, which has been a st- the, the, the approach that most uh, states have used through pu- public policy mm-hmm. to drive a market for renewable energy. Yep, but 27 this- states have a mandatory standard, eight have a voluntary standard, They've been around since the 90s, um, and they, they are the, the, the stair-stepping, the slightly higher, you know, every year, or uh, a tranching of years for a higher renewable procurement by mostly regulated utilities. Yeah, and they've had a huge impact on the market, on yeah. the prices of resources, all these kinds of things. I think California, by the time they reach their renewable energy goal in 2035, are going to provide... 35, I think 34, 35% of, right? the, of the renewable capacity in the entire country mm-hmm. just from their RPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a significant market driver. Uh, but what we're talking about here is something outside of that RPS, specifically these corporations, many of whom have made, and these are large corporations that have made renewable energy procurement a priority. Um, and these aren't, you know, your mom and pop sort of stores we're talking about here. These no, these are, are big, major U.S. corporations. Big corporations. There's a group called RE100 or an organization called RE100, which is uh, our organization's companies, major companies, that have committed to procuring uh, 100% of their energy resources from renewable sources. Uh, and uh, 29 uh, of those companies are U.S.-based. Uh, they're, uh, and these are... These are household names. Let me just read a few to you. Uh, Microsoft, uh, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Nike, Mars, Johnson & Johnson, General Motors, Apple, Starbucks, uh, very, very large companies with with a very, very serious commitment to buy renewable energy. And also they're associated with sectors that are actually driving a great deal of our energy uh, or electricity demand growth. Sure. So there a lot of those companies are, have data centers. Data centers, a huge source of uh, increased demand within the electric sector that we expect will continue to grow even as data centers become more and more Manufacturing. A lot, manufacturing. A lot of those companies I, I listed uh, do uh, very energy-intensive manufacturing. And so, so it's a big deal. 
And yeah. and one of the things that we we sort of opened this this last paper with is how are how is state policy keeping up with or is it keeping up with where these major Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies are going. And I think, you know, traditionally we should mention, and there's a good reason for this in a lot of cases, but traditionally these are two different silos, right? You know, people who are in public policy making will say, well, those are private corporate goals. Those are decided by their shareholders and they're responsible for meeting them. We don't need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. We need to deal with just our state policy here and what are our requirements. But, in fact, within the energy and electricity sector, these two start to really butt up against each other, and there's a great advantage in trying to integrate your public policy with these private corporate objectives. Yeah, that's a really insightful point, Tom, because the, um, uh, this sort of private sector can do it at once. We're just working on the utilities. Well, utilities in much of the country have a m- monopoly, monopsony arrangement, and so... Uh, private companies uh, are limited in what they can do in the program offerings from the utilities. And on top of that, you know, we have a, a utility regulatory process at every level where we're looking at resource acquisition and, and planning and investment that's over a 20, 30, 40 year planning horizon. Right. And so if you've got these large, large companies that are looking at investing in you know, major generation resources, that needs to be integrated in that planning process because otherwise you're starting to overbuild or you're, you're getting careless with the ratepayers' money. Well, we certainly think so. I mean, there's a, there's a reason to believe that if these large corporations are committing to 100% renewables by 2020 or 2030, uh, which is the the, uh, the approximate time frame of state renewable portfolio standards. And we should go back to those and talk about them. Um, but but if presumably if they have these goals, they're willing to put spend real money on on implementing them, right? So it, think about it as sort of cash on the barrelhead for a project to buy renewable energy that perhaps otherwise the sharehold the uh, ratepayers of the utility might have to buy, or um, separate from a portfolio standard you know, deferred investments that in a natural gas plant or, you know, some other um, uh, grid asset. And so this is real dollars that the private sector could bring to bear for public benefit. I think we, we try to make that case in the paper. So what you're saying is, you know, you may have this uh, company, maybe it's Microsoft, maybe it's one of these other big companies that's looking at uh, procuring, you know, basically investing in 200 megawatts of wind generation. And we're not talking about... Which they know, did this we're, year. We're not um, talking about Microsoft. just buying credits somewhere else. We're talking about... Correct. Uh, we're talking about putting that energy on the electric system that that co- company is, is using. So we're talking about a... A, a, you know, a PPA, the, a, the, power a power purchase agreement. Purchase agreement. Where, yep. And so Microsoft is going to sign this... Uh, power purchase agreement for 200 megawatts of wind power. And what we're saying is the Public Utilities Commission and the utilities that are serving that load should incorporate that into what they're looking at over over their planning horizon because maybe that means they don't need to invest in certain generation uh, in 2017 or 2018 or 2022. Maybe they can put off that, uh, that investment or maybe they don't have to make that investment at all. And that's a savings for their ratepayers. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the the, the existing process, and we, we talk about this in the paper, but the existing process that most states go through, 
is called integrated resource planning. Um, and so we chart really three pathways. Uh, and, and there's this great figure in the, in the paper about uh, states that do integrated resource planning and what their horizons are. You were describing like 20, 30, 40-year horizon. Um, so we propose three ways to do this. How do you square what increasingly private companies want to be able to do by owning their own resource mix or driving a certain carbon intensity in their resource mix with the state public policy objectives? And, and we would argue that um, in many cases, they are not aligned. There are states, Hawaii has a 100% renewable standard, California has a 50% renewable standard, Oregon has a 50%. But if you take the average across the country, all 50 states, the average is just north of 20% renewable energy by approximately 2025. That's sort of if you look at the bell curve. So these 30-some these U.S. companies and growing that have made a 100% commitment you know, there's a big gap there between where the state's going to go. So if you're a utility that wants to buy 100%, but your utility only needs to buy 20, um, then you need to find additional ways to um, re renew your blend, to get a, a deeper level of renewable energy in your blend. And the planning process that you're talking about is really integrated resource planning. So what we say is there's a way to change, to, to adapt the existing IRP process at Public Utilities Commissions, a regulatory approach. Um, absent that, there's a legislative approach, we think. And absent that, there's a, uh, a executive action, a governor's office or state energy office action to sort of codify this into a process where corporations can say, we want to buy, we have real commitments, and how do we get that into the state's planning process? Right, and as you pointed out, you know, these vertical uh, Utilities. So we have some utilities in the uh, in the country that are in a more restructured environment, where mm -hmm. where a corporation can you know decide that they want to buy from a from a certain provider. But much of our country is still uh, a vertical monopoly monopsony sort of a situation. And this company wants to buy that power. They don't have really an avenue to do that. Right. Um, as we said, putting it on the electric system that they're using. They could buy RECs, uh, renewable energy credits, that might develop power, help to develop power somewhere else. But if they want their actual energy demand from their utility to be increasing the, the renewable component that, they're, that mm -hmm. they're purchasing, they don't have an avenue to do that through our state statute. So that's where really, uh, you know, a legislative... Uh, push would come from, something that allows a corporation to be able to do that, but at the same time, allowing that corporation to make those contracts to, to enter into those PPAs has a real impact on the utility mm -hmm. uh, operations and, uh, and the utility planning and what the regulators are overseeing. And so that needs to have a real regulatory approach, something that's going to integrate that capability that the legislature wants to give them in that overall utility planning process. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I think the we, we sort of draw this caution that left to the current way of doing things, and I should point out that there's a group called the Business Renewable Center. They chart the, the number of megawatts, it really is gigawatts, that uh, corporations are signing in direct PPAs in 2015, 3.2 gigawatts of renewable PPAs signed by 
the likes of Google and Bloomberg and those same companies that I listed. So we're talking about a lot of power here. It's a lot of power. And, and so left of the current process to basically, uh, uh, you know, custom deals, um, you know, there, there's a real erosion of utility revenue. So what we're talking about is modify the, the way of doing things, keep the, make the utility whole, allow them to uh, enable their, their biggest customers to do what they want to do, and do this in a way where the ratepayers save money. And yeah. we really do think that, you know, it's overused, but a win-win-win is possible. Um, and so, so, so how do you do that? And, and we, we really think that it has to be formalized into a state process, that a public utilities commission, for example, or their equivalent, um, ahead of an integrated re- resource planning docket or as part of that docket really needs to have in front of them and validated by the utility, okay, there are X number of companies that want to do Y number of megawatts in the next three years, and they have a real commitment to doing that. How do we actually factor that into a scenario, a resource planning scenario? Uh, because I, I really think that that's, this isn't something that can be kind of done ad hoc. It needs to be modeled into the utility uh, dispatch and, and new resource models. And if and we think a public utilities commission in many cases has the organic authority to request that information or to allow these corporations to be interveners in these in these current dockets, but to really organize it in terms of a, a product set that they would enable the utility to do. So if, in a large scale... But you were describing a legislative approach that could also work. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there may be both. I, I think there's right. probably both because it's certainly the regulatory side is one where you want to address this, but there's, there's statutory restrictions on the ability to do it from mm-hmm. the beginning. That's mm-hmm. going to need to... That would need to be addressed at, this, at the legislative level. But, I, you know, I think it's important for us to point out that the, the reason this is important to utilities and to ratepayers in particular, is that if you've got a company that is investing in a certain amount of, of, of wind, that may offset resources that otherwise the ratepayers would be planning on purchasing. That's right. And it, it might replace that or defer that investment. Uh, and and it's, a, it's an investment that the company wants to make that could defer the investment or eliminate the investment that the overall rate base might need to make. And that's, I think, should be very interesting to your public utility commissioners who are, are responsible to the ratepayers and protecting the ratepayer investments. Yeah, one of the places where there, where there, there are a lot of places that could create friction here, but one of them is, um, you know, if utility particularly wants to own that renewable generation and a large corporation would like to own it or sign a PPA for it, um, where the utility would sign a PPA versus a private sector company signing the PPA, that may actually be in the utility's best interest because power purchase agreements are viewed as imputed debt on their balance sheets and they don't tend to want a lot of PPAs on on their system. But the point is, the, all of those details need to be worked out, but a conversation can't be had until you really know where the opportunities are, where they are in the system, who the serving uh, uh, load utility is, and, and and those sorts of things. But I think you're absolutely right to point out the the need for um, for 
for innovative models to to keep the utility revenue uh, a whole. The third, uh, Tom, we we chart a third pathway that basically says, absent those two um, those two options, right, a state energy office, or even an economic development office or economic development authority, could in theory issue an RFI, request for information that says we're asking all companies that do business in our state, and even companies maybe that are prospectively looking to do business in our state, for your corporate goals around renewable energy. And we are going to aggregate them in a way, and, and we will, we will um, intervene at the Public Utilities Commission. And many of these offices have to petition for intervention, but are often granted. And they could bring that evidence into the record and to bear on this. And so I, I think, you know, probably I should have said at the outset, this, this, this movement for renewable procurement and private sector procurement is nothing new. And this paper is not new in that regard, you know, 3.2 gigawatts back in 2000. But I think what we are trying to put forward is a new framework for thinking about this. Rather than it being um, individual tariffs or programs or, you know, things that are negotiated by the companies and the utilities on or a one-off buying, basis. Or just buying offsets or buying recs. And, and Correct. It's, it's better to institutionalize it, to create yeah. a process. Um, there's one example of it that we should point out that was actually just coming out of the XL Energy sentiment for s- settlement under our energy future, which is Renewable Connect. And it's a program that will, uh, it's, it's up to 50 megawatts available for the program, as I understand it, five and 10-year PPA options for their customers. So it's the utility working to establish the PPAs with the customers and then presumably a third-party developer. So it's those sorts of things that, that I think we need to see more of. Absent that, you know, what we've seen in some places, and in Nevada really comes to the top of that list, certain customers are citing their inability to buy more renewables as a reason to actually leave, leave the system. Yeah. Uh, MGM Grand, Wind Resorts, uh, the latest news is Caesars Palace, yep. and uh, that are, and I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that that's the only reason here, but that is one of the reasons that those companies have said, uh, these these individual private companies have said that they they want a better deal and they're willing to pay exit fees to to procure their power on a wholesale market. And it's important to point out again, getting back to the rest of the ratepayers, that doesn't do the rest of the ratepayers any favors, right? Because you're you're losing a big load uh, off of the utility system. Uh, that's helping to pay for all the infrastructure that the utility has invested in over time, that <clears throat> revenue that the, uh, the utility would otherwise be getting from that the customer is now being spread among the rest of the, of the customer base. So uh, for commissioners and for legislators and for governor's offices that are interested in making sure that they're putting in the pr- kinds of protections for consumers mm-hmm. uh, that anticipate this kind of trend, that we're seeing already, uh, formalizing this process, as you said, as you were saying, is really in the best interest not only of the companies, not only of the utilities, but also of the ratepayers. We think so. Check it out. Fourth paper four. Paper. paper four. Four of four. The last one. Four of four. A summer series that that ended a little bit late this year. <laughs> it ended in the fall, but we somewhere beat, somewhere we beat winter. That's right. <laughs> You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening.